0: If you will go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation or find on your Bible app or if you don't have a Bible, there's a a black hardback Bible right there in the pew in front of you. If you don't have one, you can take it. Take it home. We can replace that one and we want to make sure you have uh, the word of God there for you to to read at your disposal. Revelation chapter two is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. We're going to uh, look at a church in Asia Minor, a church in a town called Smyrna, not the Smyrna that you're familiar with up here in uh, Cobb County, but uh, Smyrna from 2,000 years ago. We're going to look and see what Jesus says to this church and how we bring it into our own lives today in 2020. Um, I do want to thank you for, um, uh, for your uh, your prayers. I've had a couple of people mention they've been praying for me as we've gone into this study. Uh, it's, it's a little different and uh, it does take a, a little bit different uh, approach than, than some sermons that I have, some sermon series that I have, have preached in the past. I do thank you for your prayer. If, if you're interested, we'd love for you to join us if you're available on Wednesday for midweek right here in the fellowship hall. Um, we had some good discussion this past week on how do we make sure we don't lose our first love and, and loving Christ coming out of the church of Ephesus? So we'll, we'll review a few things about the seven letters here that, that we're covering over these next couple of weeks, but also opportunity to just kind of talk and discuss and reflect on these passages because I know there are going to be things that come up that I'm not going to answer in the, the sermon that you want to talk about. And so what better place than with your brothers and sisters in Christ? that want to see you grow and want to see you uh, flourish as a person of faith. Um, But here we are, Revelation chapter 2. If you've got your place, I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we read these verses together, verses 8 through 11, looking at the church in Smyrna out of Revelation 2. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last, who was dead but has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews but are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. But be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to open our hearts today. Open our hearts to receive not words of man, but the word of God. The very truth that you have revealed, Lord, we pray for our church this morning that that we would be a church that is known as being faithful, faithful to you, faithful to the cross, faithful to the true testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would stir in our hearts a desire and a longing to encourage one another, to grow together, to see others come to a better understanding of what the Jesus Christ message is, and that is that we need a Savior, and you are the one who saves. Give us ears to hear this morning, Lord, and we ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Smyrna, a little bit different take on uh, a church compared to Ephesus. Actually, Smyrna and Philadelphia set themselves apart in these seven letters from all the other churches because there is nothing wrong in these churches. If you remember in the book of Ephesus, uh, in the uh, the church in Ephesus last week in chapter two, Jesus is talking about all the good things they have going and then he singles out a problem that they have. You skip down to Pergamum next week. We'll be looking at this and Jesus says a couple of good things about Pergamum. but then highlights some serious issues that are going on in that place. And it gets worse as he goes on through. He goes from Pergamum to Thyatira. From Thyatira he goes to Sardis and then he ends up in Laodicea. And all five of these churches, Jesus might be able to say something good, but he highlights something bad. Not in Smyrna. Smyrna's got some good things going on. Smyrna's not an easy place. Smyrna's a little difficult. Now, Smyrna sits on, uh, on, on the outskirts of what is the present-day city of Izmir, Turkey. It is a nice, beautiful harbor city. It's a place that looks out over the, over the, the, the Mediterranean Sea as it uh, channels into towards the Black Sea uh, there in Asia Minor. And you can see some of the beauty. And you can go to Izmir, Turkey and go to the outskirts of the city and see right where the ruins of Smyrna still sit. Oh, it was a wonderful, wonderful place. But for Christians, it was a little difficult. It was a little hard. And so, Paul, so, so John is writing the words of Christ Jesus. Jesus is looking at this church. And Jesus tells them some things about their faithfulness. And he encourages them to hold on to the end. It's a word of encouragement that I think you and I in 2020 must hear. Because being faithful is not always easy. Being faithful is not always easy. Notice what Jesus says to them. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you're rich. The blasphemy by those who say they're Jews, they're not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Don't fear what you're about to suffer because you're about to be cast into prison. And some of you will be put to death. I'm going to tell you. That's not going to sell a whole lot of books. If you want to go and look at the, the, the top sellers in the self-help category, they're all about self-improvement and being happy and making yourself feel this way. Not a whole lot of bestsellers are going to look you in the eye and say, you know what, life is going to be really, really difficult and you might struggle putting, uh, holding on and you might even be killed for what you believe. People don't line up to hear that. But Jesus looked at this church in Smyrna and he saw what they're going through and said, I need to encourage you because you are in difficult times and what you're facing means that being faithful to me as your savior, as your Lord is going to be difficult. Church, you don't have to look very far into the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or WSB-TV to find out that it's a little hard to be faithful these days. It's not always easy. Man, I wish it was. I I wish the gospel worked this way. You come to church, you hear a little feel-good story about Jesus, you say, yeah, I want to follow that Jesus, and all of your problems go away. All of, almost like, you know, almost like there's a magic wand and fairy dust that's sprinkled on you and you live on cloud nine and all of your bills are taken care of. All of your health is taken care of. All of your family's taken care of. You don't lose anybody. Nobody makes fun of you. You never feel inadequate. No one abuses you. No one takes advantage of you. Everything is just great and glorious all because you put on your Jesus badge. But the reality is the world doesn't operate that way. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the trouble that you're facing because of me. And you're going to be faithful to me. But I need you to know it's not going to always be easy. Why was it not easy? See, the people in Smyrna did something. And it's something that we have to do as followers of Christ, as believers. They drew lines of conviction. They drew some borders around themselves. They drew some boundaries that said, this is who we are. And this is how we are separate from the world that's around us. And the reason being faithful is not easy is because when you and I draw lines of conviction, the world is going to turn against you. It's going to. When you draw a line of conviction around your heart, around your life, the world is going to turn. Notice what he says here. I know your tribulation and your poverty. So that word tribulation is a very particular word. I know that you're looking at the book of Revelation here and you're thinking, oh yeah, book of Revelation. That's all about the great tribulation. That's all about those seven years of utter destruction. Well, clearly this tribulation means something a little bit different. Because that time hasn't gotten here yet. And Jesus is writing in real time to a real circumstance in a real church that truly existed right here in the book of Revelation. This tribulation is what we would understand as, as, as persecution based on religious belief persecution based on religious belief in other words the church in Smyrna had drawn lines of conviction around themselves and now they are starting to feel the heat of the world they are starting to feel the pressure of the community they are starting to feel the evil that surrounds them let me tell you a little bit about the city of Smyrna oh man it was beautiful it was a great place. It vied with Ephesus to be the prominent, preeminent city right there in, 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 in the area in Asia Minor. They thought that they were the greatest city. And Ephesus says, no, we're the greatest city. And they kind of had this nice little rivalry, kind of like the Falcons and the Saints, right? They had this little thing going back and forth between each other about who was going to actually be better. And, and, and Ephesus continued to one-up Smyrna, except for a particular area. Smyrna got awarded this this temple by Rome, a temple where the emperor could be worshipped. And right there in Smyrna, what started to happen was this whole imperial cult began to develop. People would flock to the city of Smyrna to worship the emperor. No matter what he did, no matter what he said, no matter what his decree was, that's our emperor. We're going to, we're going to sing his praises. We're going to laud him no matter what. What? And the Christians in Smyrna said, that's not who we are. They started drawing these lines of conviction. No, we don't participate in an emperor worship. No, we don't participate in the cult practices of the world around us. And what happened was the people in Smyrna started to take notice and started to turn against them. So you, you, you live, work, and play in a place called America, You live, work, and play just outside of the city of Atlanta. And there is so much pressure around you to go the way of the world, to follow the ebb and flow of society, to do as your neighbor does, and when you don't, there's always that I might be ridiculed, I might be made fun of, I might not be invited, I might be cast out. See, when you start drawing lines of conviction around scripture and who Christ Jesus is in your heart, the world's going to turn against you and that makes being faithful a little bit more difficult. And then he kind of dials it in just a little bit more. Let's bring it a little closer home because when you and I decide we're going to start holding to biblical truths, we might even upset other believers. We, we might even upset other believers if we uphold what the Bible says is true. I'm not sure if you have followed some of the recent events in the United Methodist Church denomination. The United Methodist Church has begun affirming same-sex lifestyle. And it has begun a uh, uh, drawing in and wanting to ordain. and In 2003, they ordained, publicly ordained their first lesbian minister in, in New York City. And so all of these things have been swirling around in the United Methodist Church until last year. At the Great Council of the United Methodist Church, the bishops of the church from the continent of Africa said, you guys got to hold up just a second. Because what you have taught us and what we have learned about the Bible is that this is true, and there is a certain way that God designed men and women to function, and now our great church is on the edge of heresy by affirming this, and we've got to stop. And so the United Methodist Church, their worldwide council, took a vote. And that vote was to affirm and uphold traditional view of sex and sexuality according to Scripture. But it didn't really sit well with the American Methodist Church. Maybe you saw the headlines just a couple of weeks ago that our Methodist Church in America, the United Methodist Church, is going to be splitting, is going to, is going to divide themselves over this issue, over an issue of biblical conviction. And maybe you've seen that. Look what happens in Smyrna. It says, I know your tribulation, I know the poverty and the blasphemy that those that say they're Jews, but they're not. See, in Smyrna, the first Christians worshipped as Jews. They just worshipped the fact that the Messiah was already come. And so they still went to the temple. They still practiced most of the law of Judaism. But they didn't offer the same sacrifices because Christ had already been sacrificed. And so they started holding faster and faster to the truth of who Christ Jesus was and The Jews there said, No, 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 you are going to be pushed to the outside because you're upholding something. You're like, Well, why is that such a big deal? Remember, Smyrna was known for emperor worship, And, and, and the Jews were that one group that the Romans allowed to continue practicing their own religion without forcing them to uphold emperor worship because they understood that there was this ancient monotheism about the Jews and the Jews really weren't a big issue to the Romans. So as long as you were going to the temple to worship, here's what's going to happen. As you're going to worship as a Jew, here's what's going to happen. We're going to allow you to stay out of this emperor worship. But the Jews the ones that were holding to the old line of Jewish faith and not accepting the reality of Christ Jesus, once their followers of Christ, Jewish brethren, started seeing that there is something different about who we are, they started outing, hey, you're not really a Jew. And Jesus says, you're being pushed to the edge. You've drawn a line of biblical conviction. You've drawn a line about who I am. And now you are being blasphemed by others that were given the same covenant. Now, I want you to think with me just for one second. Our our faith came out of the Jewish faith. It was the promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that he would be their God forever. It was the promise that the Messiah would come. And everything that we have as Christians comes out of that understanding that there was a God who created and gave his word and gave his son. And that son did come. The covenant was not given to us first. The covenant was given to the Jews. The Jews have rejected the covenant. They've rejected the truth about who God is. And sometimes when you step into faithfulness about what the Bible teaches, there's going to be someone else in your community of faith that says, no, no, no. And they're going to actually make, I can, I can remember one time. Uh, 2007, um... Christy and I were in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, we, were, we were going there for for a basketball game. You know, my wife Christy graduated from Clemson University, and uh, we went and spent the night at my sister's. She lived in Greensboro, which is right next to, uh, really close there to to Winston-Salem. To, we were going to go to a Clemson versus Wake Forest basketball game uh, there in Winston-Salem. And I had a couple of friends from college that were at the Wake Forest Divinity School there. And or excuse me, yeah, the Wake Forest University Divinity School. Now, Wake Forest University does not uphold the truth of the Bible. They do not uphold that this is the written word of God. They do not uphold what we hold to is a lot of our core Baptist convictions. They are Baptist as well, but they uphold some false teaching. And I can remember, um, we walked in, Chris and I were students at Southeastern Seminary, and we walked in, I was going to see one of my friends from college who was a student there at, uh, at Wake Forest Divinity School. We walked into the house where he was living and he had some of his friends there. And as soon as we started walking, as soon as we walked in, they started singing this old DC talk song, Jesus Freak. What will people think if they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do if they find that it's true? It wasn't saying, hey, you know what, we like Jesus too. It was in order to poke and prod because we believe the Bible. People that were studying also to be in ministry, jeering and poking fun because someone else believes the Bible. See, when we hold the biblical truth, we might come into conflict with other believers. And you've got to ask yourself, what's more important, being faithful to my clan or being faithful to my Lord? And Jesus says, it's going to be difficult. You've suffered blasphemy at the hands of these that say they are believers, but actually they're not. And he says, you know, you've also got to understand that your rights might even be violated. Look at what he says there. They're not Jews. They're a synagogue of Satan. But do not fear what you are about to suffer. Raise your hand if you want to suffer this week. Zero hands went up. I'm shocked by that. See, we live in such a rights-ordered society. That's what we claim. That's what we hold to. That's why uh, Morgan & Morgan and and Strong Arm of the Law and all these people have all their commercials that they can air on all your TV channels because we always want to go against, no, that's my right. I have rights. These are my rights. And we don't want our rights to be violated. And Jesus says here realistically to these people, you're going to suffer and your rights are going to be violated. But that's the cost of faithfulness to me. Yeah. Not a popular message in America in 2020. Would not have been a popular message in America in 1776 either. But that's the nature of sacrifice. See, Paul tells us over in the book of Romans chapter 12 that we are to present ourselves, our living body, our bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. See, when you're sacrificed, rights don't matter, do they? See, Christ Jesus provided us this example Christ who had all the rights to the glory of God. Christ who had all the rights to the kingdom. God, Christ who had all the rights to everything that God had ever done. Because he was God himself. But he took on the flesh. He emptied himself with the rights of heaven. Not only did he empty himself of the rights of heaven. He took on the flesh and emptied himself of the rights of man. He didn't demand a lawyer. He didn't man, demand a fair trial. What he demanded was that God's will be done. Even to the point of death on a cross. That's that's the image that we're left with as believers. And, And Jesus is writing to these people. And he's able to tell the church in Smyrna, look, your rights are probably going to get violated. You're about to suffer at the hands of these people for my name's sake. What could be more ridiculous than suffering because you love Jesus. What could be more ridiculous than than, than being put put to the flame, being put to the fire, being put to the hands of the wicked and the evil and the sinister among us, all because you love Christ. And here Jesus says, you are about to suffer, so do not fear. The reason he says do not fear is because of our second point, because being faithful is about eternity. See, faithfulness we like to think of in in terms of time and where we are in this world. But Jesus is framing faithfulness as something bigger, something that goes beyond this world, this life, what touches us, what we feel, what we think, the rights that are violated here. Notice he says there, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. See, he's taking it beyond the physical. He's taking it beyond the world where you and I live. And he says this faithfulness might not pay off here, but it has great reward there. In my pocket, I have $2 bills. This is all the cash I have on me. And the only reason I have these $2 bills is because I had to get gas on my way to church this morning. And I overpaid. I gave them $40. It only took $37.50. Where are the two quarters? My children have the two quarters. They're going to put them in the offering plate when it comes by here in just a little while. I hope you give more than two quarters. But I have these $2 bills. I could use these $2 bills and I could go to a gas station and buy myself maybe a 20-ounce Pepsi. (laughs) Think about that. Some of you remember remember when you got your bottled Cokes and Pepsis for 5 cents, right? Two bucks now. (laughs) But if I take these $2 And I go into the jungle of Central America and I carry these $2 to a little shop owner and I offer these $2 to him and say, I would like a 20 ounce Pepsi. He's going to look at me because this has no value where I've gone. It only has value here. The rights that we claim to, and the rights that we want to hold here don't have value where we're going. They only have value here. And faithfulness says we've got to look at the bigger picture of eternity. And Jesus tells them right up front, right in the very beginning, that even in death, Christ Jesus assures victory. That's the beautiful part of the gospel, that no matter what happens to you here, if you are in Christ, you have something greater there. He says there to them, behold, the devil is going to cast you into prison. You're going to be tested. You're going to have tribulation. And if you are faithful to death, what do you receive? The crown of life. So that crown, it's, it's, it's the Greek word Stephanus. We get the word Stephen from it, or if you're a female, Stephanie. It was the victor's crown. I want you to picture old-timey Olympics. See, now you go to the Olympics, and we got the Olympic Games coming up this summer, and you get a nice medal. You wear that around your chest. But back in the day, when the Olympics were really the Olympics 2,000 years ago, you got this laurel crown that went around your head. And that was the victor's crown. And you only got that crown. You didn't get it if you finished in third place. You got it if you finished in first place. We live in the participation trophy. If you just show up, you get a trophy these days. But If you won, you got the crown. And Jesus is saying, I am offering you victory, even if in this life you suffer death. Chances are, that's not going to be your reality. Chances are, as a Christian in America, you will never face death for what you believe. We all face death. It's, 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 it's written for all of us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed once for man to die. But victory does not come in death. Victory comes in the life that he gives. Maybe you read the headlines this last week. The headlines that tells the story of Luan Adimi. Luan Ndimi was a massive pastor and leader in northern Nigeria. He was an Anabaptist pastor, which our roots are Anabaptist roots. He was leader of a local national network of of pastors and church leaders. But earlier in the month of January, he was arrested by Boko Haram. Boko Haram is an Islamic State militant group that operates in northern Nigeria and parts of Chad and and, and Niger and, and Cameroon, just right there in that area of Africa. And there was a video that surfaced around January the 5th of uh, Pastor Indimi, uh giving uh, testimony to his family that he was okay. And in his video, he goes as bold as to say, my faith in God is sustaining me and the people around me are taking care of me. He was bold enough to proclaim his belief in the true and living God. Boko Haram wanted to use the video, the hostage video, for him to recount his faith, but he doubled down on it. and on January the 20th, they killed him. Be faithful unto death. And see, what we would think is that's outrageous that that would happen. But do you know what's happening in the Nigerian church right now? They're rejoicing at Victory. Boko Haram has thought that they could come in and silence the Christians, but they're singing with a louder voice because they understand that victory is in what Christ Jesus offers. Even in death, Christ assures victory. Now, look at this. He says, if you're faithful to death, I will give you the crown. You can't give something you don't have. You come up to me after church and say, can I borrow a dollar? i am like, yeah. I'll I, I let." This is supposed to go back in the gas envelope. So, you know, but, you know, okay, if you need to borrow a dollar, I can give you. If you come up to me and ask me for $20, I don't have $20. I will show you my wallet. I don't have... This is all the cash I have. On... I can't give you what I don't have. Christ cannot give you a crown of victory unless he himself is the victor. And he holds the crown ready to extend to you and to me because of our faithfulness to him. Even in death, he assures victory. But not only that, faithfulness now inherits something that is imperishable. Notice what he goes on to say. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes... By your faithfulness now, we will not be touched by the second death. What's that? The Bible tells us that after our first death, our physical death in this world, if you are not in Christ Jesus, you receive the second death. Over in the book of Revelation, if you'll just hold your place or if you want to mark in your, mark in your margin, Revelation chapter 20 says these words, and I want you to hear these words because they're very important to what Christ Jesus has just said. It says in verse 11 of chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, I saw a great white throne, and on him, and, and, and him who sat upon it, from those whose presence earth and heaven fled away, no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in their books according to their deeds. And then the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And anyone's name... That was not found and written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Church, let me hear you, let me me share with you very, very briefly, very, very clearly, and very, very quickly about this. This lake of fire is an eternal hell, it was not created for you, it was created for Satan, our adversary. And the legion of angels that he took with him when he was cast out of heaven. But our rejection of God's Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, does not mean God sends us to hell. But that we ourselves elect to go to hell over receiving what God has done to keep us from hell. If anyone goes to hell, it's not because God sent them. It's because they sent themselves. And our faithfulness, he says, whoever overcomes, whoever clings to the cross of Jesus, whoever holds on to the, to the robe of him who was slain for us, whoever professes that faith and walks in faithfulness will overcome and they will not receive the second death. They will receive that beautiful and glorified body, that body that is imperishable, that body that will not know sickness, will not know pain, will not know sadness, will not know tears, will not know hunger, will only know the joy of the Lord. Faithfulness now inherits something imperishable. That's victory. That's victory. So what do we do with this? What steps do you and I take today to be faithful? Because the world doesn't want you to be faithful. Realistically, the world could care less if you are a Christian or not. They just don't want you to do anything with it. Satan doesn't care if you come to church. He would rather you come to church and walk away from here feeling good about yourself than to come to church and get real with your heart about why you need a Savior and why I need a Savior and why we must be faithful to the Christ. Because if we can walk away here just feeling good, oh yeah, I went to church I sang a song, I heard a sermon, I'm good, then we're trusting in something less than. So what steps do we take today to be faithful? The very first step that we take is to focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on Jesus Christ. Notice what he says there in verse eight. He says, "Write this to the church in the letter, uh, the angel of the church in Smyrna, the first and the last, who was dead and has come to life." says this. We're talking about a Jesus who has conquered death. He said in chapter one, verse 18, when he saw this image, he saw this Christ and there he was and he was holding uh, uh, and Jesus says, I am the first, the last, the living one. I was dead and, and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades in my hand. You know how he's given you a victor's crown? Because he's holding the the keys of victory right there in his hand. You want to know how he's able to secure you in your time of trouble and tribulation? Because he has conquered hell to the glory of God the Father. You want to be faithful? Look to him. Look to the true victor. Look to the one that could only do it. Because we can't. But he did. Second, be aware of cultural religion. Be aware of cultural religion, going with the flow, getting caught up with what everyone else is doing. And cultural religion nuances itself in so many different ways. It nuances itself in politics. It nuances itself in sports. It nuances itself in fashion. It nuances itself in diet trends. It nuances itself in what you're reading. It nuances itself in exercises. Everything that focuses in on how you can better yourself when Christ Jesus is the only one that can redeem you. I'm not against self-help. Trust me. I'm not. We, we need to take care of our bodies. We need to get rest. We need to make sure that, you know, we're, we're not running around here in our PJs all the time. This is not Walmart, by the way. So, so just making sure that we're all taking care of ourselves. But if you're doing that because you think that's going to be the key that gets you in, then you're following something that's false. And the world around you just wants you to read another book to make yourself better so that you don't start looking at the heart where Christ Jesus says, I have overcome and I'm offering you something greater. Can I just be a little honest with you here? Election years bring out our cultural religion. Politics has a devastating way of elevating persons and elevating personalities over what is real and what is true. And... Y'all are here this morning, so maybe I'm not preaching to you. But if you're more committed to a political party, regardless of which side of the fence you're on, than you are to involvement and faithfulness in the church, you're showing where your cultural religion is. And you know people, and you're friends with them, and you you talk to them, and you get all the ideas from them. You know people that proclaim Christ? but are more active as Democrats or Republicans than they are in the local church. They're showing where their hope truly lies. That is cultural religion. And it goes the same way with sports. And it goes the same way with fashion. And it goes the same way with money and finances. All of these feed in because they are diversions and distractions from faithfulness. So be aware. be aware. I'm not telling you to be a Republican. I'm not telling you to be a Democrat. I'm telling you to be faithful follower of Christ. The third one is to watch with spiritual eyes. Notice what he says here. Verse 11, he says, He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. I know you're thinking, wait, wait, wait. You said watch with spiritual eyes, and the words Jesus uses is ears. Fair enough. The point is you can't just rely on the physical. You've got to be able to see what's going on in the spiritual. Because the physical will dupe you and deceive you every single time. But what the Spirit of God does is it speaks into your heart. And it speaks into your soul. It speaks into the very core. And it routes around what is broken and what is lost. And helps you see the beauty. And so it takes your focus off the death that will come. It takes your focus off what you might lose. And shows you everything that you have received in Christ Jesus. To be faithful kind of like a marriage. I love my wife more than anything. Y'all know this. I, I, I love her more than anything. It's easy for me to be faithful to my wife. Not because I don't want to be fired as your pastor. I, I mean, trust me, if I, if I was ever unfaithful to my wife, I hope you would fire me. Like, don't even call a church meeting. Just let Jessica and our personnel committee say, yeah, You're fired, and, and I'm gone. That's what it should be, right? Faithful. It's easy for me to be faithful to my wife because I love her. Because the thought of hurting her, the thought of betraying her, the thought of her uh, ever, ever having a question brings such great sorrow and sadness to me that I want to make sure I safeguard everything. So so I look for every opportunity, personally speaking, I look for every opportunity to, to help Keep that as far away from our, our marriage as possible. But I have to be willing as a Christian to do the same thing in my relationship with Christ. Faithfulness with him. And, and that's where spiritual eyes and ears have to be, uh, have to be utilized and used. Because I can't do it on my own. Why? Because I'm human. If I do it on my own, I'm going to be puffed up with pride or I'm going to be following the whims and the ways of the world. So spiritual eyes bring us into where we can see the beauty of the gospel and say, that is all I want. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. See, the flip side of the spiritual eyes is it's kind of an indictment against us. And and maybe you're struggling with this faithfulness to Christ because you're hearing words and you're hearing motivation and you're hearing the way Jesus. But nothing's sinking into your heart. You're you're hearing it here and you're hearing it here. And let, let me just tell you why that is. It's because there's something wrong with you and what's wrong with you is sin. Your sin has kept you from relationship with Christ Jesus regardless of whether or not you've made a profession of faith. It could have been that you made a profession of faith. You were baptized when you were eight years old and you could remember the pastor's name and how cold the water was on that day. But nothing has sunk in about the gospel since. And let me tell you, it's because you're not walking. You're living in sin. You're living in pride. You're living in what you can accomplish. You're living in what what you have done and not what he has done for you. Let me ask you to come today and find out what it means to listen to the Spirit. But it might be that you've gone to church and you've sat on pews and you've actually never trusted Christ. Oh, yeah, I can do that, man. I can make sure that I'm, you know, I'm not that kind of political person or I'm not making fun of those people. Or I'm not, I, I can make sure I do all these things. I'll be at church every Sunday. And every Sunday you walk away with that same feeling. I heard some good things, but there was no impact here. You only hear with spiritual ears when you've given your life to Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God has access to your new heart that he has given you. Watch with spiritual eyes. Then there's the fourth one. Do not fear. Do not fear. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. You don't have a reason to fear. You don't have any reason to have any fear because you have the glory of God upon you, around you, filling you by his Holy Spirit because of Christ Jesus. No matter what this world does, no matter what this world touches, no matter what this world tries to do, you have already won because of Christ Jesus.